series entitled, I'm Alright. Say that with me, I'm alright. Right. Now, whatever that means to you, I want you to know that to God that means so much more. Because God has provided a means by which you can always be alright, despite the challenges in life. But it starts with an issue in the heart. And so last week we started, uh, we, we were looking at Romans chapter 2. We're studying the book of Romans, and it's a letter that was written to the church that was in Rome that was made up of many different people. They were both Jewish and non-Jewish, what is known as Jew, uh, Hebrews, Jewish believers, Christians, and what were known as Gentiles, which means you're not Jewish, but you believe in Christ. And so this church was not unlike many of us today. You see, this church was a melting pot. It was made up of people from different cultures, different backgrounds, different experiences, different views pertaining to life, but specifically pertaining to relationship with God. And while it was a beautiful thing, how many of you know that when you take a bunch of people from different experiences and different backgrounds, it also creates some different messes, right? You know that, right? And so these people were not without challenges just like us. But one of the main issues that plagued this church was the, the Old Testament beliefs and customs that the Jewish believers were trying to bring into the church. And the Gentile believers were saying, well, wait, I don't understand that. I don't, I don't, that doesn't make sense. And so what specifically was happening was that there were issues that centered around the Old Testament laws of Moses. Now, these laws were given uh, to the people of Israel but it, these laws were based on a performance-based approach to God. Let me give you a quick example of that. You do good to get good. So if you do what's right, you get what's right. If you do what's wrong, you get what's wrong. You chose it, you earned it, it's yours. God was being just. The problem with this is that they brought this into the church after the resurrection of Christ. And what they were trying to do was take the place of what Jesus had done by their performance. Let me tell you why that's important to understand. Because there's nothing that you and I can do that's right to make us any more righteous in God's eyes. It's all based upon what Jesus did. Right? And how many of us know that every one of us failed? Now, some of you, you're just so spiritually minded that right now we're not being much earthly good. But I, let's be real with ourselves. And so here's the thing. There was always this drive amongst these people, and this drive even persists in this day and age in the church and in the world. It's this drive to be good enough, to be good enough, to look good, to act good, to be perceived as good, to feel right in life, and for you who call yourself Christian, to feel right with God, or you who just subscribe to religion. The problem with that is that how many of you know that no matter what we do to try to feel right and be right and do right, we always end up just a little bit short. We all do, right? And what that means is that we all deal with this issue of guilt, right? So today, I want you to lean in with me. As we look to God's word and we listen to God as he speaks to us from his word on the topic, just as if I'd never done it. Just as if I'd never done it. Have you ever dropped a ball 
I mean, like really messed up with someone that you really cared about and you tried to make it up to them? You remember one of those times, right? You came all humble, right? Maybe your tail between your legs, right? And you did whatever you could to make it right. But isn't it true that even after you did whatever you did and said your sorries and moved mountains, you still had that little feeling, that little nagging feeling that said, you're still wrong. But some of us were still living with that. See, we've all been there. And chances are that in that moment, you really tried hard to make up for whatever you did wrong by your actions in hope that you could get rid of your sense of guilt. It's a horrible feeling to experience. And yet, no matter how hard we try and all that we do to make things right, we always end up with the short end of the stick because we always make mistakes. Now, I'm going to tell you why it's important for us to think about that. Because the same is true as it pertains to our relationship with God. For some of us, your approach to God is one riddled with guilt. You struggle to feel right with God. You feel like because of your actions or how many times you've messed up or the things that you struggle with, you feel like you're not qualified to even talk to God, to turn to God, to be forgiven by God, because after all, I keep doing the things that I don't want to do, but I really want to change them. And my friend, let me tell you that the very first step to your freedom is to understand what the Bible calls as justification. It's the power of God that is unleashed that declares that you're not guilty even though you did it. Now, I don't want you to take my word for this. We need to go to the scriptures on this, right? Let me give you my definition for this big Bible word called justification. My definition is simple. It's just as if I'd never done it. That's justification. Let me show you that from scripture. But before we do that, I want us to see why we need to understand this issue that God has justified us. Romans chapter 3 verses 9 through 19 tells us the problem that exists in all people without Christ or for those who believe in Christ but don't have a proper understanding of what he's done for us all. Starting at verse 9 it says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? No, not at all. Paul is addressing Jewish believers who were putting confidence in what they did. And he's saying, listen, you're just as jacked up as everyone else. And he's saying, you don't have any advantage. He says, not at all, for we have already made the charge. In other words, we've proved that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. He's talking about when we live independent or negligent to the truths of what Jesus has done. He says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Verse 12, all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues are practice deceit. 
The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Man, was that true of me? I'm, I'm just telling on me, you know, just, just saying. That's where I was in many regards. Verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. Verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. Now he's appealing specifically to people that are putting their confidence in their religious adherence. In other words, based upon what they do religiously to feel right. Notice what he goes on to say. So that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world will be held accountable to God. Verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight. Listen to this. By the works of the law. So that applies on multiple fronts. No one will be declared righteous. No one can be right before God by their actions or by their religious activity. Rather, watch this, through the law, through the things that we do to try to be right that we never can achieve, he says we become conscious of our sin. We realize no matter how much I try to do good, I'm not good enough in and of myself. I can't make this happen on my own. So what we see is that without Christ, we live with the drive to do more to feel right about ourselves. We try to do that. The emphasis is on doing what you feel you can so that you can feel good about yourself through good deeds, through pursuits, maybe through self-betterment. But no good you and I do can change the issue that plagues the heart apart from God. Let me give you a perfect example of this. A couple of months ago, we had such a cry for justice and equality and all these things for this nation. How's that working out right now? That's the result of what plagues the heart of men. I want you to think about that. No judgment, no condemnation. I'm just pointing out a truth. And so... What we see here is, and, and, and hey, for you who are, man, I believe in Jesus, I'm, you know, I'm sold out, praise God. But if your confidence is in your religion, you're no better. You know why? Because you're basing a relationship with God on what you think you need to do for him. Can I tell you, you can pray 20 times a day. You can read the Bible 24-7. You can listen to sermons. You can sing songs all the time. None of that makes you any better before God because it's not based on what you do for God. Now, I'll tell you where it will help you. It will help you in conditioning this brain of yours, right? But that does not make us right with God. So then what does? How does this work? See, just because you do something good, doesn't mean that you're good at the core. How many bad people haven't done some good stuff? Right? You get my point? I mean, I'm just being honest. Right? We got to be real about this. But verse 20 says something very interesting that we just read. 
that's important. It says, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by their actions. No one is right based upon the good we do. So what we see herein is a dilemma. We're stuck without God. We're stuck in guilt. We're stuck in shame. We're stuck in actions. We're working hard and harder and harder. But no matter how much we do, we may be good for a minute. We may be good for a stretch. But eventually it crashes. We're stuck. You ever think about this? How in a circus they can take an elephant and this massive elephant, right, that performs and and can literally trample thousands upon thousands of people. This massive elephant, they take back to a stake in the ground and they tie a little rope around it and that elephant stays there. It doesn't even try to pull on that stake. You know how that happened? That elephant came to believe, I'm still trapped. From a young age, that elephant was tied to that post. So much so that even though it grew bigger and stronger, and it can pull massive amounts, tons of weight, this elephant won't even dare to snap the little rope that holds it tied. You know, in the same way, like the elephant, we can become restricted and limited by our misbelief, our, the misplacement of true faith. See, if you remain tied to your stake of guilt, the truth is this, you'll never break free and you'll never accept what God has done for all mankind. This is for everyone. And so it's for this reason that we have to read further into Romans 3 to see what the solution to this dilemma is. Romans 3, starting at verse 21, says this. But now apart from the law. Let me translate that. Let me put that into modern day terms. Apart from your actions and your religious acrobats. The righteousness of God has been made known. I like the way the King James, I believe, puts it. It says, has been revealed. In other words, it's now available. It's present. It says, to which the law and the prophets testify. It says that this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now watch this. And all, how many? All All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by God. Christ Jesus. I'm going to just stop right there. I'm not even going to read any further. I want you to consider the magnitude of what God has declared through the scriptures. I want you to consider that God says, you being right before his eyes and being all right for life, truly, to get at the core of living right, of walking in this new identity that you have as the righteousness of God. It all boils down to this. It's not based on your actions. 
It's not based on your behavior modification. It's not based on all the good things you do. The scripture clearly states this. It is solely based on faith in the fact that Jesus has made you right with God and you can't do anything more to add to it. This is powerful. I'm going to tell you why. Because when you understand that you are right with God based upon what Jesus did and not what you do, you have no reason to live with guilt. There's a reason why the scripture says that we can now come boldly before his throne of grace. We find grace and mercy there. Always. Listen, somebody say this with me. I'm not guilty. Now, let me ask you a question for personal reflection. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Let me tell you something. If you're living with guilt and you look at yourself as damaged goods, here's the reality. You'll live that thought out. Your life will reflect that. Could it be that it's not as complicated as we think? Could it be that today is your day where everything turns around because you finally come to the place where you accept what God says in his word? Not what I say, what God says in his word. That all have been justified freely through Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you, my friend, whether you're here or you're online, there's nothing wrong with you. What's wrong is what you believe about what God thinks about you. There's nothing wrong with you. Now, I know for some of us, this is really challenging us. Because after all, we believe that to be right, we have to do what's right. That's how our relationships are built. That's how the work environment works. That's how this world works. But the Bible says that you are in this world, but you are not of it. I'm talking about the way God has done things. I'm talking about the way God sees you right now. You can be free of addictions. You can be free of, 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 of things that plague your heart, hurts in the past. You can be free of of negative thinking, you can be free of beliefs that keep you stuck to that stake if you will believe correctly first and foremost what God says about you. You're not guilty. I've justified you. Will you accept that? Will you accept that? Isaiah 44, 21 through 23 gives us indication as to what God has done. It says, pay attention O Jacob, for you are my servant. This is God speaking to his people, Israel. Mind you, he's speaking to a people that kept making the same mistake. They kept compromising their faith. They kept giving themselves over to desires and evil things and, and being in wrong relationships and all these things. And God says, pay attention, O Jacob, for you are my servant, O Israel. I, the Lord, made you, and I will not forget you. 
I have swept away your sins like a cloud. I have scattered your offenses like the morning mist. Oh, return to me, for I have paid the price to set you free. I'm going to just stop right there. There's more I can read, but I, I think it says it so well. Listen closely. These verses reveal why we can live with the full confidence that we're all right. You're all right. Let me tell you why. Because the scripture says that God has swept away the issue of sin by the price that he paid for you. It's like all your debt being cleared and you calling your debtors and saying, hey, I know that this was paid, but I want to pay you anyway. How ridiculous is that? How much more ridiculous and ungodly is it to believe that we still owe God for something that Christ paid for? Listen, here's the reality. Because of Christ and Christ alone, the scriptures declare that you are no longer a sinner. The scripture declares you're a saint. You're holy. You're righteous. And I'm going to tell you why the scripture declares that to us. It reveals that to us. Because that's the way God wants us to live. But some of us, we try to do it instead of believe it. You can't do it if you don't believe it. You can't live it if you, if you don't receive it. Well, that was free. Listen, the Bible says that there was a day where Jesus was teaching a crowd. And these religious men who put confidence in their own self-righteousness show up. And they interrupt this teaching. And they throw before his feet and before the crowd a woman who was guilty, caught in the act of an atrocious sin according to the law. So bad was her, 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 her action that the law said that her punishment was that she should be stoned. And so they throw this woman at the feet of Jesus and they say, man, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. And the law says that we're to stone her. What do you say, Jesus? Scriptures say that Jesus kneels down and he begins to write something in the dust of the ground. And he's silent. And they keep pressing him and pressing him and pressing him. Listen. And Jesus, they, they knew that Jesus had said this. I didn't come to break the law. I came to fulfill it. So what they were trying to do was to get him to sentence her to death. And Jesus did not respond. So let's see how he responded after they continued to press him. John chapter 8, starting at verse 7, says they kept demanding an answer. And so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned Throw the first stone. Now, I'm going to tell you why he said that. Because here's one thing that's true about the law. And for some of us, we still try to live by the law. 
Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. We, we live by thou shalt not. But here's one thing about the law that's true that the scriptures reveal. If you break one of them, you're guilty of them all. Doesn't matter whether you killed somebody or you lie, you're still guilty. It's all the same before God. And so verse 8 says, then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. Watch this. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one. I'm just as guilty as she is. Beginning with the oldest until Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. You know, the intent that God has in giving us the scriptures and recording the life of Jesus and his ministry here on earth wasn't just about giving us a record of how he lived or what he did. There's something more to it. God's intent in giving us the scriptures and recording the life of Jesus is to reveal God to us in terms and in a form that we can all understand. Like one of us. And I'll tell you why that's important. Because it shows us how God sees us in our human form. And it shows us how he approaches us in understandable terms. Listen closely. Because that's true, we see that God does not see us according to our failures. I'm going to say that again. God does not see you God does not see me. God does not see the person that you judge and you condemn and you look down upon, if that's your case. God does not see us according to our failures. As a matter of fact, he's not standing before us with accusations. He's not standing at the ready to strike us down with a lightning bolt like I used to think when I was a kid. Instead, he's right there with us looking upon us while we stand before him, holding on to our guilt. And he's saying to us, I'm not condemning you. You're free from your guilt and from the very thing that plagues your heart, which leads you to your mistakes. The issue here is not the action. The issue here was the belief in the heart. And Jesus set this woman free. And Jesus sets you and I free by revealing this. I'm not condemning you. You're not guilty. You're not guilty. Man, I pray that the word of God is ministering to your heart. And that you are seeing the truth according to the scriptures. Because this has the power to change your life from this day forward, to set you free. So I just want to give you a couple of things from the scriptures on living guilt-free, on receiving the reality that you are justified before God. The first thing I want to leave you with here is that you're not as far from God as you think. I'm going to say that again. You're not as far from God as you think. Listen, in everyone's eyes... This woman was guilty. 
She was damaged goods. She was deserving of a swift and harsh death. I want you to imagine the crowd as this woman is laid before Jesus' feet and all of them. And her actions are revealed before all. Everyone's going, oh my God. She committed adultery. They caught her in the act. And nobody's questioning, what were they doing in the room? Listen, while everyone is gasping at hearing her offense, while everyone is writing her off and passing judgment and picking up stones, the scriptures tell us that Jesus remained silent. He wasn't excusing her. But he remained silent because he was saying something so much more powerful. He was saying, I came to deal with this so you don't have to live with this guilt any longer. I came to set you free. While everyone was pressing Jesus to pass judgment, he was revealing his will for this woman's life by his silence. You know, our shortfalls, they sometimes serve as false evidence that convinces us that we are so far from God because of our failures. But my friend, I want you to see something from this interaction that Jesus had with this woman. Because this isn't just her story, this is our story. He was right there with her. He's not far. He's not removed from his promises. He's faithful in his love for you. He's calling you to greater things. Listen to what 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Peter here is addressing this question that kept coming up in those latter years after he had been a disciple, an apostle for many years. People were questioning, when is Jesus going to return? Why isn't he coming? And he says this, he says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, his promise to return, as some understand slowness. Instead, watch what he was doing. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance, everyone to take opportunity to turn around because God truly is good. Listen, God sees you in a completely different light than how you see yourself, than how you see people, than how people have seen you or see you. God sees his very best in you. Why? Because he paid the price to restore you to that. You know, what the, you know what the issue is for some of us? We accept Christ and here's what we believe. Oh, I accepted Jesus so now I'm supposed to look different, act different, and it's all supposed to change overnight. It's a lie. It's a lie. You know where the change is lacking when that becomes our experience and maybe you're still stuck there? It's because this mind has not been transformed to the truths in the scriptures. You are not discovering who you are in Christ. You are not grasping nor seeking the promises that God has given you. You still think you lack something. My friend, you have everything you will ever need in Christ. You are as complete before God as you could ever be because it's all based upon the complete work of Jesus Christ. 
that he has done for the entire world. Somebody say, I'm all right. The next thing I want to leave you with here is that you're not as bad as you believe. You're not as bad as you believe. The reason why some people still struggle with guilt and accepting that they've been justified is because we see Jesus as one of the Pharisees carrying a stone, as one of the people condemning us for our actions, instead of seeing Jesus for who he is and what he really came for. Let me remind you, let me encourage you to consider what Jesus said about himself. In John 3, 16 and 17, Jesus says this, For God so loved the world. Let me tell you what that really means. For God so loved you. Every single person, you. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is talking about a life, not pie in the sky. It's a life that starts from the very point of accepting Christ. It's a new life. It's a good life. It's a better life. But watch this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world Some of us, we think that we're unreachable, that we can't change because we're so bad. And while you're busy believing the accusations of the enemy and replaying those condemning thoughts, you're missing Jesus. You're missing your solution. You're missing the power of salvation. Not just for the forgiveness of sin, but for a life free from the power of it. And it's guilt. I want to leave you with one last point here. You don't owe God anything because he has given everything for you. I'm going to say that again. You don't owe God anything because he has given everything for you and I. You got to get this. The scripture says that there is nothing good that we can do that's good enough for God. That's what it's telling us in the book of Romans. There's no one good in and of themselves. There's no good we can do to be right with God, to be good enough for God. So the solution is, man, I'm just so thankful for what Jesus has done. And because he's good enough and God paid the price through him for me, I'm good enough. The scriptures record that there was a young man, Jesus uses a parable of a prodigal son. And in this parable, this young man says to his dad one day, hey, dad, give me my inheritance. In other words, he's saying, give me what's due to me when you die. As a matter of fact, you might as well die, but you're going to stay alive, but give me what's mine. So the father gives him his inheritance. He gives him all that he has to both his sons. He divides it between both, the scripture says. This son, the scripture says, goes off and he starts living excessively. For some of you, you've read it, and here's the word that sticks out for you, the prodigal son. That word prodigal means excessive. Reckless even. That's how much excess was to his actions. And so this guy goes, and the scripture says he spent it all in prodigal living. 
Then he finds himself hungry, and a famine hits. And a guy comes alongside him, and he says, hey, man, I got something really good for you. Let me help you out. Now, mind you, this isn't Jewish culture, so this is offensive. He says, I'm going to let you feed my pigs for me. You can eat what they eat. And this guy is in mud, stuck. And he's longing just to eat what the pigs are eating, but he can't get it because the, kid, the pigs are devour, devouring it. The scripture says that one day he says to himself, I know what I'll do. I'm going to go back to my father's house. And I'm going to tell him, Father, I've sinned against you and before heaven. And I'm not good enough to be called your son anymore. Just let me be like one of your slaves. That way at least I could just get a little bread. Let me just slave for you, work for you, serve you with my actions. Let me earn my keep from this day forward. But the scripture says that as he's walking towards his father, I imagine this guy's covered in mud. Maybe he stinks. Whatever, he's walking to his father. He has nothing. He's destitute. He has no sandals. He's tarred from the floor. And the Bible says that the father sees him afar off. And the father does something that in Jewish culture is not acceptable. The father runs towards his son. You see, this son forgot his value. He forgot who the father, who he was to the father by birthright and by opinion and esteem of the father. You know, if I take this $10 bill and I slam it on this table, it's still $10. And if I take this $10 bill and I throw it, meant no disrespect with that, brother. It's still $10. And if I take this $10 bill and I crush it and I discard it, it's still $10. And if I take this $10 bill and I take it and I stomp it and I put it through the ringer and I throw it in the washing machine and then put it in the dryer and then write on it, and it's still $10. You know why? Because its worth is not determined by what it's gone through. Its worth is determined by the one who has deemed it worthy. And my friend, I am telling you today that God loves you so much that he sees the worth in you and he gave his very best for you that you would live free of guilt and shame and condemnation. Today as we stand up, and we come to a close. I want you to remember that you owe God nothing because you don't ascribe the worth to what he's done for you. You are good enough. Is there anyone in this house today in our line that can raise their hands to the Lord and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you have done. For me, for this entire world, Lord, we just say thank you. Thank you for justifying us and not holding us guilty, but setting us free. Thank you, Lord.
Now, look, this, it's very possible there's someone here today. Maybe you're online. Maybe you're catching this after the fact on YouTube, whatever. Maybe somebody shared this with you. Maybe a family member who's here is leaving here and they're going to share this with you. However you come across this, I believe that there's still some of us that we, we struggle, man, because we, we're trying to make ourselves right. And what I want you to see is that you don't have to do that any longer. The only thing you do have to do is accept the one that is good enough. The one that makes you good enough. The one that loves you and paid the price for, for all mankind's sin so that we would no longer carry guilt. You can be free today. Your issue is not what you struggle with. Your issue is you believe that you're not good enough. And so you fall again and again and again and again. Listen, it even happens for Christians. Sometimes our minds go wayward. It's why we fall again. But God wants you to get back up. And you can do that today if you will understand that God sees you just as if you'd never done it. Because he did it all through Christ. If you believe that with us today, then pray this with us as we close. Say, Jesus, I need you. And I thank you for what you've done. Man, listen, right here, right now, if that's you, whether you're in this house or you're online, I want you to be bold and I want you to reach out your hands to God. I want you to raise them. If you're accepting Christ, man, go for it. Go for it all. Go for the gusto. Say, Jesus, I need you. And Lord, I thank you that you gave your best for me. You died on the cross and you rose again to pay the price for my sin. From this day forward, I declare you are my Lord. You are my Savior. You are my God. And I am free of my guilt. I am free of my sin. No longer am I bad news. I am your very best. And I thank you for it. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen, amen. Come on, we are celebrating the power of God. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.